All right, my friends, this is Dave Denniston. Welcome back to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Well, don't know if you can tell or not, I am a, a little bit under the weather, have been having a, a little bit of sore throat going on, but I wanted to make sure to get this out to you. So we're doing here part two of the conversation with Dr. John McBurney, an, a uh, neurologist that lives in the state of Oregon. Um, part one last week really kind of set everything up here, talked about how we got to where he's at right now. And now in part two of the episode, we really get into the financial stuff. So in this podcast today, you're going to learn about his guilty pleasure of cars and what that had meant to their retirement. I'll tell you, he wasn't a popular guy at home for a little while. He also simplified his finances. So he's going to talk about that. You're going to learn about what kind of corporation he was using for locums. You're going to learn about what he promised his kids financially and how that's affecting his retirement. You're also going to discover what kind of practice he will be establishing and the model he is following. And I'll tell you a hint, this involves a past podcast guest. And as part of this is really interesting. He's going to talk about how he's working with different healers and doctors. He then transitions into locums and how he's using locums as a bridge from his last job to his ideal clinic. So my friends, there, there's a lot of great financial advice in this part of the podcast as he talks about his financial journey. So I know you're going to love it. So with no further ado, here is the podcast. So you you learned you learned you learned these great lessons from your from your wife. Yeah. Um, if you could boil that down to just two or three lessons, uh, what do you think those were? Yeah. So of, of, avoid debt and don't waste money. Was there a point you guys ever had? Obviously, you had the houses, and sound like that was a little bit of an issue. Was there ever a point where you had to deal with that? Or do you think you got to stay off and stay on the the straight and narrow path? I had a real fixation on cars for a while, and uh, yeah. I, I ran through a bunch of ever escalatingly expensive cars for a while. Um, had a had a seventy thousand dollar BMW at one point. Uh, I was not a very popular guy when I came home with that car. <laughs> uh, and 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 I eventually had to just wean myself off of of the automobile, <laughs> mm. you know, because unlike a house, which you know, in in a with a reasonable degree of likelihood, can be a, a decent investment. You know, car as you as you've said, I mean, it, it's just a it's just a loss from the minute you you start driving it. It's recurring expenses. Uh, you know, it depreciates rapidly. Um, you know, the, and, and you know that the stereotype of a physician driving a big expensive car is really an ugly stereotype to most people, you know? It, do you think, um, were you buying into that stereotype? Kind of the reason why you wanted the car or, or did yeah. you just love I, cars growing up? Or it was, it was a little bit of jealousy you know some of your peers making more money at one point i mean what what do you think was behind this yeah i don't know why i thought that a a, a new maxima wasn't good enough and that i needed uh, a, an m5 bmw 
Uh, but I, you know, the leather was a lot nicer in the BMW. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it was a lot more powerful. It was uh, a lot faster. Um, so I, I, I was, it was just a sign of immaturity. Interesting. Well, now today, one, one of the things I thought was so neat, you and I were, were conversing back and forth on LinkedIn, is here you are today, you're, you're um, working towards your own private practice, you're doing locums you had shared with me earlier before we started recording, and um, you say now you're living in a small house, right. and you're, you're living in a really great neighborhood in the Pacific Northwest, you have a 10-year-old car, and you use a bike to commute, right. and um, you don't have any credit card debts. You don't have anything like that. And, and you're starting your own practice. So um, that's so exciting um, to to be doing all of those things now in, in this stage where you are. Um, so congratulations on that. But with all of these things going on, how are you kind of tracking your progress to financial freedom? I know what our remaining outstanding obligations are, um, and I know what uh, our bank balance is and what our retirement balance is. You know, I honestly worry about uh, the longer-term prospect. I, I don't know how we can afford this little but very expensive house uh, if I decide at some point to not work, mm. you know. Um, so, your the Portland real estate market is uh, is really really dynamic. It's not as ex it's, Portland is still not as expensive as Seattle, uh, which I know you're very familiar with. But uh, but for most folks in the United States, they would be uh, truly. Uh, blown away by how expensive Portland is. The thing that Portland has going for it as a real estate investment <clears throat> area is that it's still the least expensive major city on the west coast of North America. I mean, if you if you start walking down the west coast of North America, starting with Vancouver, British Columbia, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, you know Portland is less than half as expensive as San Francisco. But it's still really expensive. It's still really expensive compared to a lot of places. So, you know, uh, half a million dollars doesn't get you much in in uh, Portland. Anyway, so what I'm what I've done is um, I've incorporated. I have mm -hmm. an LLC. Mm -hmm. uh, my uh, my intent is to file uh, my LLC taxes as an S corp working with an accountant who has a lot of experience working with physicians doing locums. And we're, we're aiming for re pre-tax retirement contributions out of the LLC, totaling uh, 51000 uh, for this uh, for 2017. Mm -hmm. um, we will have our remaining uh, debts, which are our uh, daughter's uh, college loans, the uh, PLUS loans, paid off in about uh, this time next year. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thanks. And uh, yeah, we're very proud of her. She's doing amazing work, but you know, she doesn't make a fortune. And, and so we've we basically promised our kids uh, undergraduate 
college without debt, anywhere they could get in, a car and a savings account. And so that's what they got. And we just finished helping her and also our son buy their first homes. Uh, so, so those are very meaningful things to us. But, uh, but in any case, I'm going to use um, my income from doing locums uh, potentially uh, as a bridge to self-finance establishing a, uh, a, an integrative and functional neurology micropractice. And the goal of that would be to not have big overhead because it would be a cash-based practice to uh, really adopt a model. There's a, there's a family doctor in Eugene named Pamela Weibel. Are you Pamela familiar? and I are friends. She's oh, been on you? the podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so it's really very uh, much what she talks about. I, I'm actually just got an email from a, a friend of mine who's an internist here uh, who's got contacts with a, a chiropractor and an energy healer who has a wellness center. It literally would be to try to do what Pamela did, which is to rent a room on a part-time basis in a wellness center and to slowly try to develop that practice uh, as a part-time endeavor. And as I get busier to start cutting back on traveling. I think that sounds like a wonderful plan. And it's one, I think that for your situation, given some of the things you've experienced, I think um, you have this pension income that you can count on. Um, You have the locums, that you could certainly do as much or as little as you want. And I think what's so interesting about Pamela's way of of going about creating the ideal medical clinics is having the town hall meetings. Is that something that you've started yet? Or what's that process going to look like? Is that something still a year away? When are you going to hold, or how are you going to get started with that? Yeah, so my my goal is to... Uh, develop that over the 2017. There's some additional training that I want to do. Uh, I'm networking like crazy uh, within sort of the uh, integrative complementary alternative community here. In fact, I uh, have a meeting set up with one of the deans at the uh, Natural College of Naturopathic Medicine on Friday where I may do a little bit of volunteer teaching as a goodwill gesture and also uh, to further network. Um, uh, and the goal would be to roll this out by the beginning of uh, 2018. Wow. Good. So about a year away. Yeah. How exciting. Well, it's, it sounds like for, and I think being in the Pacific Northwest is a fantastic place to, place to do this, by the way, yeah. um, just because there, there's, I think there's a lot more openness to alternative medicine than, than perhaps other places. So it sounds like, I typically think of neurologists, and I think of ho- hanging your own shingle out is much more difficult usually in today's oh, medical yeah. world because yeah. you're, you're usually dependent on referrals from your colleagues in a hospital setting. You know, it's not like Pamela Weibel is a primary care physician. You know, people would come and see her for most anything. Um, in your case, being a specialist, I imagine what you're doing of setting up your own referral network of some other people that are specializing in functional or alternative um, medicines, like a, a chiropractor, um, right, was probably yep. going to be a, a great, a great source for you. Naturopaths, chiropractors, 
yoga teachers, you know, it's, it's, you know, people actually spend more, people in the United States now spend more money out of pocket on complementary and alternative medicine than they spend out of pocket on conventional care. That's how big it is. I believe it. Well, I think there's so many people. I look at my wife, um, and I don't know how, how familiar you've gotten with my story and, and having had toxemia preeclampsia twice, mm. um, and, and horrible seizures with oh. the, the birth of both of our daughters. Our oldest was only four pounds, nine ounces when she came into this world. Oh my. Uh, my youngest was only 12.4 ounces. Oh my. And so, um, it, it's, it, I know that traditional medicine in her particular case to, per, to try and do some sort of prevention wasn't helpful right. um, for her. Um, and I know obviously maybe it's not for everyone, but I think there are certain cases where this can change someone's life um, by, by applying a different set of principles. I think physicians, they're, they're trained to cure something when there's a problem there. There's not as much training in prevention Oh, there's none. Um, yeah, have you seen the movie, the documentary Escape Fire? It's, no, never heard of it. Oh, you you really down. need to watch this. It's, a, it's Escape Fire, The Fight to Rescue American Healthcare. It, was, uh, it came huh. out about three years ago, and the issues that are raised in it have only become more uh, entrenched and intense since it was, uh, since it went out. The, the, I forget the name of the, the two producers and directors, but they both are previous Academy Award winners. I mean, they, they tell the story through the voice of people that are involved in, in this movement, including, uh, you know, former head of, uh, of uh, the Center for Medicare, Medicaid Studies, uh, who talks about how, you know, we really don't have a healthcare system, that we are great at emergency care, but we're lousy at everything else. They interview, for example, the head of women's cardiology uh, at Cleveland Clinic, who talks about the, the insanity of you know, being able to do a stent and get enormous reimbursement, but to really spend time trying to find out why somebody needs a stent. You don't get paid at all. Uh, and so there's, there's got to be a different model. And I think, you know, I think we could potentially be in a, a kind of a pre-collapse phase for a lot of things in our society, but in particular for healthcare. And, you know, people are going to have to, to a degree, find their own way. And uh, I think functional medicine for many people is, uh, is, is a big part of that. And, and I would say also, you know, I did the Integrative Medicine Fellowship at the, uh, in, at the University of Arizona. And, and what that really is, is a very much a broadening uh, experience. Uh, you know, physicians are very guilty of being very narrowly trained and not knowing what they don't know. Uh, and, and when you go do the integrated medicine fellowship, you get exposed to everything. And so I think that that, that broadening, uh, in terms of putting me in a position to be able to uh, access in a respectful and collaborative fashion, those, that community is going to be invaluable. I need to do a little bit more functional medicine training, and I'm actually very excited to, to figure out how, how I go about doing that. 
and to go do the Bredesen protocol training. Uh, but, uh, but I think uh, I was explaining it to a friend of mine who's doing functional medicine training uh, who hasn't done integrative medicine. I said, I think it's sort of like uh, doing the integrative medicine. It's kind of like getting a master's before you get a PhD. And certainly you can skip the master's and go straight to the PhD, but that you wind up much more narrowly trained. Well, I, I, and I think that this kind of brings me back home to how physicians, you know, they're so, I mean, physicians, in my opinion, are our best and brightest. Um, and it's so unfortunate how financial training of some sort isn't part of it, whether it's just some sort of, of how do you run a practice? Uh, what should that look like? Some of the lessons that Pamela uh, has been teaching you. So one of my big questions for you, John, is as we wrap yeah. up on our conversation is, if you were to talk to a younger you, if you're talking to, to John that is entering residency, yeah. and you're wanting to give him solid financial advice, um, what would you tell him? What, what, what would you talk to, to John that's a first-year resident about? Yeah, I, I would say to try to get ahead of the cash flow curve and live small. Uh, you know, when, when you've got, when you no longer are having to live on your income, when you're not living, you strive to, to not live paycheck to paycheck as soon as you can. You know, always have enough of a cushion that you're, that even if you didn't get paid one month, it's not going to be the end of the world. Uh, and I and, and avoid leverage. Absolutely avoid being in debt. Well, I, I think that's great advice and great mentorship. Um, and I just thank you for your transparency in our conversation. Sure. It's been really, really great um, getting to know you. Um, well, is, is there anything um, that on my end, as someone that does financial education, that you think should be doing more of or less of? You know, what, what do you think would be helpful to the physician community? I think uh, just continuing to have to talk real straight about in the way that I the things I've looked at through through LinkedIn that you've done about, you know, real specific things like only a buy a car that you can pay cash for. Mm-hmm. You know, avoid, you know, I mean, the thing that physicians get trapped into is leasing a stinking car as a practice expense. That's just such a stupid thing. Oh, oh God, yes. You know, $700 yes. a month for a $70,000 BMW Uber sedan is, is just... Uh, you know, there's a line in Without Feathers, uh, Woody Allen's book, where it talks about spending money on pear nectar and gold hats. Yeah, so avoid spending money on pear nectar and gold hats, and you'll do fine. <laughs> do, do, you, do you have any other closing thoughts, John, to, to pass on to your brethren um, and, and sisters that are physicians um, as, we, as we look at uh, your life and lessons we can learn from you? Well, the... the the final thing I would close with, especially for, uh, for physicians in mid or younger career that are starting to feel trapped, is that, um, that you're never truly trapped and that uh, as we transition 
uh, through this period of time where reimbursements are going down, 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 and expenses are going up, 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 that locums is a very, very interesting model. And in that when a when a entity, whether it's a practice or a healthcare system, contracts with a locums agency, they understand that there's a cost to that and that the value that you bring is not necessarily based exclusively on the fees you collect minus your overhead expenses. Uh, you know, what I say is, you know, when, when they go to a locums company, it would be like going to McDonald's and, and wanting to buy a Big Mac and you only had a dollar. You're not going to get the Big Mac because it doesn't cost a dollar. So with locums, you get paid uh, and you get paid not based on whether somebody gets a collection and uh, then taking off of most of that in overhead. You get paid as an hourly employee, but you get paid really well. And you have a, a way to control your expenses. And uh, for most physicians, I think they can, if they're willing to, to do a little bit of traveling, they can can recapture a, a degree of control. You know, most most physicians spend, you know, their early evening doing chart work and and answering phone calls. Well, if you're doing that as a locums doctor, you're getting paid. Yes. You know, you're, you're, well, you're getting $200 an hour to stay another couple of hours, which isn't a bad deal. But if it's, right. you know, so, so I, I would encourage, you know, people, if they really start to feel like they're just being squeezed to think outside the box a little bit, think about locums, think about, you know, Pamela Weibel's ideal medical practice model, micro practices, think about completely new paradigms other than just trying to try harder at the same paradigm that's not working. Well, you have to check back in a year to see how it's worked out for me. <laughs> well, life is a journey. And I think um, what I really appreciate about you and about this conversation we've had is in, in life, we all make mistakes. And here you are, someone that, that grew up in a situation where there wasn't a ton of resources. Um, right. And you've turned around in your life served in our military, um, which again, thank you so much for your service. You went and and set up yourself, I think, financially for the future. During that time, I'm sure there were many times things were tight. Um, but now, years later, uh, you got a perspective that I think is different than many other physicians, having been on both sides of the river, if you will. And so I just want to thank you for um, serving the community. I'm looking forward to the, hearing more about this next chapter of your life. And um, if there's anything that, that we can be doing to, to better serve physicians, um, please let me know. So thank you, John, for your time. Thank you for your transparency. And, and thank you for being a physician serving the community.